0: Well this morning I'm excited because we're going to jump into a series. This is February. February is of course the month where we have Valentine's Day uh, next week. I think it's on Tuesday. All you guys, you're welcome. Is Valentine's Day. That means buy something. I said that one year and I didn't buy anything and Kelly said you reminded all the guys at church and you didn't buy anything. You remember that? She remembers it. So Zach, your job is to remind me next week to buy something, okay? So we're going to help each other out. So this is this is Valentine's Month, and so everybody's kind of thinking about romance and relationships and all those things. And and, and one of the things I always do is I always ask the Lord, what do you want us, of course, what do you want us to speak on? I don't don't just preach what I think is a good idea to preach. I always go to the Lord in prayer. And one of the things I recognized years ago is the Lord said this to me. He said, Keith, many times I'm going to want you to talk about what the culture's thinking about. I want you to talk about what the culture's thinking about. Because if everybody's thinking about it, the church ought to be talking about it. Because I believe the church's job, one of our jobs, one of our responsibilities as a local church is we're supposed to bring clarity to the culture. We're supposed to bring clarity to the culture. I mean, we have a culture when it comes to love and relationships, it's very confused. When it comes to marriage and relationships, it's very confused. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of manipulation in our culture today. And the Lord said, Keith, the church's job is to bring clarity to the culture. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about a message simply entitled Love and Respect. And we're going to look in Ephesians 5 in just a few minutes. And we're going to read about 18 verses. We're going to just drill down into the Word of the Lord in Ephesians chapter 5. And it's one of the greatest excerpts of Scripture on not just marriage. We're going to talk specifically about marriage, but on relationships. And let me just kind of pause for a second because when I said we're going to talk specifically about marriage, some of you automatically kind of checked yourself out and you said, well, this kind of doesn't, doesn't apply to me. So let me tell you who this message applies to. If you are married, this message is going to apply to you. If, if you are single, all the single people, there, there you are. <laughs> this message is going to apply to you. If you're young or you're young, if you're, if you're old or you're young, all my young people, let me hear you out there. Any young people in the house? This message applies to you. John Wayne said, you say woo, are you still young? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Kelly said woo for the young people. Come on. If you're divorced, this message applies to you. Let me tell you why. Because there's no condemnation in Christ. And I want you to hear something today. If you, if, you, if you are divorced, God's not against you and neither are we. We love you and we're for you. And this message, I, I, my prayer, if you're divorced, this message I think may have more value than any other person in the room. Let me tell you why. Because God has a future and a hope for you. And God wants to redeem your past. How I many you know God doesn't consult your past to dictate your future? God doesn't look at your past to decide what He's going to do in your tomorrow. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine and there is restoration and there is healing and there is hope and there is a new beginning in Jesus Christ and I hope today that wherever you find yourself, you understand that God has a word for you and what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks as we talk about love and respect. We're going to talk, yes, specifically about some very important principles in our marriages, but we're going to talk about some very powerful principles, some truths from the Word of God that apply to every relationship that we have. And let me just say this to you today. If you can't flourish in friendship, relationship. If you can't cultivate a healthy friendship with another person, guy with a guy or girl with a girl, then you're going to have a hard time cultivating a life-giving relationship in this thing called marriage with one man and one woman for life. So we're going to learn some really powerful things, some truths from the Word of God that I believe are going to help every one of us in this room. So if you're married, this is for you. If you're single, this is for you. If you're divorced, this is for you. If you're a widow, this is for you. How I many you know you're never too old to start over? Come on, somebody. And you're never too old to learn something new? So we're going to have a good time learning some awesome truth from the Word of God. So I want you to look with me at that first point on your screen, and then we're going to get in some scripture I want to make a real bold statement this morning. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea, and marriage is holy. Marriage is God's idea, and marriage is holy. God, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, said this, Therefore a man, y'all say man, shall leave his father and mother, say father and mother, and And shall be joined to his wife, y'all say wife, wife, and the two shall become one. So a man shall leave his father and his, and shall be joined to his. So according to the Bible, marriage is between one man and one woman only. And anything outside of that is sin. Anything outside of that is sin. I want you to look at that point again. Listen to this statement. So marriage is God's idea. Marriage is holy. And the context for all loving, intimate, sexual relationships between one man and one woman is in the context of marriage. And anything outside of that becomes sin. Any intimate sexual relationship outside the context of marriage between one man and one woman is sin. That means if you're not married and you're having sex, you're in sin. It's called fornication. That means if you are married and you're having sex with somebody that's not your spouse, that's called adultery. That's sin. That means if you're a girl having sex with a girl or a guy having sex with a guy, that's homosexuality, and that is sin. So let's just be clear, right? Our culture's really cloudy. God's not cloudy. The word of God is absolutely clear when it comes to the context of life-giving relationships. And we're going to see some things today that I believe is going to bring going to bring some light into the darkness, going to bring some healing and hope to our hearts because God has created a not only I hate to use the word system, but God has created a system of life and life-giving relationships and when we work it God's way, it works. And when we violate God's path, it just don't work. And God's not against homosexuals, and God's not against fornicators, and God's not against adulterers. Jesus died on the cross to redeem them and set them free from their sin. From their sin, because it is sin, no matter what category you find yourself in. God is an equal opportunity redeemer. Come on, somebody. He wants to redeem everybody. But there's a revelation that has to happen. Until I acknowledge that what I'm doing is sin, I can't be redeemed from it. I can't be redeemed from something that I, that I condone. I can't be redeemed from something that I justify. As long as I justify my sin, as long as I condone my sin, as long as I say that my sin is not sin, there's no redemption for me. I can't be forgiven of something I don't acknowledge that I need to be forgiven of. See, the first step to freedom is forgiveness. I thought this was going to be my closing point. It's going to be my opening statement. So the Holy Spirit pretty cool. See, so you, you don't get, the world, the world tells you, the first step to f- freedom is forgiveness. The world tells you that you've got to be free and then you can get forgiven, right? You've got to clean yourself up and then you can come to church. You've got to clean yourself up and then you can come to God. You've got you to get your life in order and once you get free of all that bad stuff, you know, then you can come to God and God will accept you. That is absolutely a lie from the pit of hell freedom does not precede forgiveness forgiveness precedes freedom because the moment you get forgiven you can be free the moment you get forgiven you can be empowered the moment you get forgiven you can be liberated by the power of the Holy Spirit and you can walk out the victory that God forgave you of but until you acknowledge that it's sin you don't even think you need forgiveness And until I get forgiven, I'll never be free. That's why people that are struggling in in sexual immorality, whether it's homosexuality, adultery, or or fornication, they're struggling. As long as they're condoning that sin, they're never going to get free of it. And even though they say, well, you know, I tried to get out of this, but I just couldn't get out because this is who I am. No, you didn't try to get out of it because you never acknowledged that what you were doing was sin. You tried to be free without acknowledging that you first need to be forgiven. And that doesn't matter if it's homosexuality, fornication, or adultery. It doesn't matter if it's pornography. It doesn't matter if it's masturbation. It doesn't matter if it's lust. It doesn't matter if it's jealousy. It doesn't matter if it's pride. Hey, we're just getting real today. Is that all right? Y'all good? <laughs> Y'all like, oh my gosh, we're in church. He's saying all those words. That's why we have children's church. Praise the Lord. I mean, you're seeing all that on TV anyway, right? You're seeing all that when you're scrolling through social media. You're seeing all that stuff when you're going to work every day and people are talking about stuff that you maybe don't wish they'd talk about. But here's the realization. If we don't bring clarity to the culture, then we all end up in confusion. And that's our job. And the church's job, your job as a Christian, as a born-again believer, is not to condemn people, not to judge people, not to accuse people, but to speak truth. Speak the truth in love. Let Let me tell you what's powerful about truth. It's the truth that sets people free. It's the truth that sets people free. And if you guys know me, I love people. I mean, I love loving people. I mean, it just makes me happy to love people. I I, I very rarely, I I have a hard time finding somebody I can't love and don't love. I just love people. And I love loving people. But you know what? Nowhere in the Bible will you find out that if you love people enough, your love will set them free. Love will cast out fear. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Right? Love will build a bridge. Love will create an open door. Love will give us opportunities To speak truth into their lives. But nowhere in the Bible does it say if you love somebody enough, your love will set them free. No, it says the truth will set them free. And we got to love people enough to speak the truth we got to love them enough to speak the truth, not condemning, not judging, not accusing. Just in a loving relationship, just talk about truth, just conveying truth, just ministering truth. Why? Because when we bring truth into the darkness, we minister hope and healing for that person's heart. The most cruel, hateful thing you can do to a person living in sin is condoning. That is the most unloving, cruel thing you can do. Yeah. To say, well, it's okay. God understands. No, he doesn't. God, God doesn't understand sin. Jesus died to redeem us from sin. God doesn't understand. God hates sin. God loves sinners. God hates sin. God loves sinners. God hates sin. He doesn't understand. And the most cruel, unloving thing you can do is to pat people on the back and say, it's okay, God understands. It's not okay and God doesn't understand. God loves you, Jesus died for you, and he wants to redeem you. And God is not condemning you, and God is not judging you, and God is not accusing you. God is extending his arms to you with love like a loving father, saying, I wish you'd come back to me. Because right now you're in a place of death, and right now you're in a place of deception, and right now you're in a place of darkness, and right now you're in a place even though you can't see it. How many know that when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived because you're deceived? <laughs> right? When you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived because you're deceived. And you can't see the truth because you're deceived. And guess what? If everybody pats you on the back and says it's okay, you'll never see the truth. Somebody's got to love you enough to speak the truth. Again, in a way that comes out of a heart of compassion. That comes out of a heart that is grieved and broken over the condition of a person's heart. Man, we ought to look in our world... And we ought ought to be broken by the fact that people are dying and going to hell, that people are deceived, that people are living in bondage. We ought to be broken. We ought to be grieved. We ought to to be in a place of desperation before the Lord where we cry out to God and say, Lord, let let me be a voice of truth. Let me be a minister of righteousness, Lord. Let me be a vessel that can bring hope and healing into that person's life because they, like me, we need you. And so God is calling us to that place to walk in that. So marriage is the goal. Marriage is the goal that should be pursued and not avoided. We we have a culture today that says let's just wait longer and longer and longer and longer to get married. And and I'm all in in favor of getting your ducks in a row. But how many know you're never going to have all your ducks in a row? (laughs) There's some ducks that never line up. (laughs) 32 years of marriage later and we're still working on our ducks. I mean, come on, duckies, get in the law. They're not there yet. And I'm all in favor of all those things. I'm all in favor of education and job and fine security. And all of, but you know what? We, we have a culture now. where longer and longer and longer and longer because we want to live our own lives and we want to do our own thing and we want to find ourselves. But the problem is while we're finding ourselves, we're living in sin and immorality. While we're finding ourselves, we are polluting the well of our soul. With sexual relationships that are ungodly and unholy. And then we do finally get married and we start trying to draw water out of a well that's been polluted. By the last 10 years of doing our own thing and finding ourselves and having fun and allowing lust to be the thing that drives us. Instead of the love of God being the commandment, and the covenant that keeps us. See, lust will drive you. Love will be a covenant that will keep you. It'll keep you in a place of purity. It'll keep you in a place of power. It'll keep you in a place where you can thrive and where you can grow. And so God is calling us to that. And it's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. We ought ought to pursue marriage. We ought to celebrate marriage. We ought to honor marriage. It's a great thing. It's God's idea. And intimacy, this last statement is a quote I borrowed from my wife because when, when, when we were leading the youth and she was youth pastor and she used to tell our young people this all the time, intimacy is intended to progress. What does that mean? It simply means this holding hands leads to kissing, kissing Lisa, to making out, making out Lisa, to sex. And that was God's idea. It's intended to progress. God created intimacy to progress. He created it that way. He knew how to fool the planet, multiply the planet. Hey, let's make something awesome. <laughs> hey, God ain't dumb. Come on, somebody. He said, we've got to teach people how not to reproduce, not how to reproduce. They'll figure that one out. Why? Because intimacy is created to progress. And here's the challenge. If you're not pursuing marriage in intimate relationships, then you end up compromising that intimate relationship. It becomes an immoral relationship instead of a godly relationship. Because if marriage ain't even on the table, we're just going to fill our way through this thing. If you're not careful, you'll be holding hands, you'll be kissing, you'll be making out, you'll be having sex. And before you know it, you'll be ending a relationship with a broken heart polluting the well of your soul, and now looking for somebody else to do exactly the same thing with that will never bring satisfaction to you. There, there's enough testimonies in this room. I mean, we've, we've all, in this room, we don't all sold enough wild oats to be able to say uh, it don't produce the harvest you want. <laughs> Nobody walks away from a lifestyle of sexual immorality and says, man, that was the greatest. They end up looking back on those, those years of their life with regret. I wish I would have knew what I know now. I wish I would have made different decisions. I wish I would made some different choices. I wish I would have took a different path. And God is calling us as the church to bring clarity into that culture. Because intimacy has created the progress. Now, now let's look at our first scripture. <laughs> Ephesians 5. I want you to see this. So Ephesians 5, Paul, Paul gives us in the last part of this chapter this beautiful picture of, of marriage and relationships. So I, w- I want you to listen to this scripture in the context of relationships. I want you to listen to it in the context of relationships. It doesn't just apply to relationships, but he leads us into One of the greatest relationship teaching scriptures in the Bible. So I want you to listen to what he's saying here in the context of relationships. So listen to what he says. Verse 15, he says, So be careful how you live. Don't be like fools, but like those who are wise. How many of you understand that in every area of your life, you need to be wise and not a fool, but especially in the area of relationships? Because your greatest joys and your greatest sorrows can always be traced to relationships. When you think about your greatest joys, there's always somebody there with you. When you think about your greatest sorrows, there's always somebody there with you. (laughs) Why? Because relationships is where it's at. My greatest joys, my greatest sorrows are always connected to people. Always connected to people. So be wise. Be wise. Don't be a fool. Be wise. In the area of relationships, look at verse 16, and make the most of every opportunity in these evil days, right? So we've got to capture the moment. We've got to make the most of every opportunity. We've got to recognize, hey, I've got to be wise and I've got to be discerning, and I need to be making the most, right? I want to carpe diem. I want to seize the day. This is an opportunity that God has given me, and I want to be wise enough and discerning enough to seize the moment. But then the next verse, I love what he says in the next verse. He says, but don't act thoughtlessly, <laughs> Because all of a sudden you say, hey, let's seize the day. And everybody says, yeah, I'm going to jump on it. And then he says, hold, hold up, think about it first. <laughs> think about it. Think, think about it before you get in that relationship. Think about it before you pursue that path. Think about it before you take that step. Think about it. Let, let's, don't, don't act thoughtlessly. So seize the moment. Be wise in the decisions you're making. But don't act thoughtless. Take the time to pray about it. Take the time to think through it. Take the time to process it. Take the time before you make life-changing decisions to seek some wise counsel. And ask some people that have been there where you're at right now and see if they've got something insightful to tell you because they probably do. He says, so don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Get God's wisdom. Get God's instruction. Get God's path. Get God's direction for your life. And then he rolls over in verse 18. Look at verse 18. And don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Man, that's a good verse. Well, to have it on the refrigerator somewhere. Don't be drunk with wine. Because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he's saying. Don't live under the influence of an alcoholic substance when you can live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Why do you want to be intoxicated by a wild spirit when you can be filled with the Holy Spirit? Come on, somebody. Why do you want to be governed by something that's going to make you act like a fool and you're going to wake up tomorrow and you don't even know what what you did when you can actually live in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit and you can not only do better things than you could have ever imagined you could do, but you can get up tomorrow morning and remember everything you did and have fun about it. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then look at this next verse. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. It's interesting that Paul connects being filled with the Holy Spirit to singing. Singing songs, making hymns, singing to yourselves, celebrating the Lord, praising God, honoring God. Why? Because one of the greatest ways that we stir up the gift of God that's within us is through our worship. Worship is the one thing. Think about this. The one thing that we give to God that's all for God. Right? Preaching and teaching, we're, we're, we're receiving from the Lord. We're learning things. We're growing. It's helping us. When we come up for prayer and ministry, we're receiving things. We're learning things. It's all for us. But when you give God worship, It's all for him. It's all for him. That's why I love I I feel like what we saw this morning should be the new posture of Liberty Church worship. We ought to just be in the altar. We ought to just be hungry for God. We ought to be unwilling just to stand back there and do my own little thing. I'm going to just press into him. And I'm not talking about religious ritual, just doing it because we do it. I'm talking about coming with a heart of expectancy and a heart of worship. One of my favorite favorite worship quotes is this, and I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. Y'all just bear with me for me. I just, I I love this quote. Gentleman came up to his pastor and he said, pastor, I just want to let you know I didn't enjoy worship today. And the pastor said, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. (laughs) How many know it's not about the song or the singer? And it's not about whether you like it or not. We're not worshiping you. See, see, let me tell you what's happened in modern American Christianity. We've made worship about us. You know how many churches have split over music? Style? You know how many people have packed their little bags and went to another church? Because I don't like the way they worship. They didn't sing my song. Who are you worshiping? Now, I think it ought to be good, right? Right? I think it ought to be good. I think, I think it ought to be good. Praise God, we got some good worshipers. we got some anointed people they are leading us in the presence of God. But at the end of the day, we're not worshiping them. We're not worshiping a song. We're worshiping him. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Kelly knows a pet peeve of mine is, is I know in my heart, man, I, <laughs> man, I had to learn a long time ago how to, how to worship to bad worship because I used to lead singing. A cappella. I'm telling you. It was bad. A lady come up to me one Sunday. She said, Pastor Keith, do you know how hard it is to worship when you're leading, and singing a cappella? I said, the only thing worse than that is having to get up and preach after it. You ought to try to preach after that horrible singing. It's horrible. That's true. That was liberty 24 years ago. We're blessed. Amen? And somehow God grew us. How in the world did that happen? I don't know. So he said, making melody unto the Lord. Look, look what it says. Verse 20. He says, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, thankful hearts part of living a spirit-filled life. Yes. Hey, if you want to invoke the presence of God in your life, just start thanking Him. Yes. Stop complaining, stop grumbling, stop griping, stop murmuring, stop pointing fingers, stop accusing everybody, and just say, God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for all the good things. I even want to thank you for the bad things. I just want to thank you because i got breath in my lungs today. And the fact that I've been able to even complain about other people is proof that I'm still alive. And I want to just thank you for that. That's I just want to thank you. And then verse 21, this is where we're going. Verse 21, he says, and further, submit to one another. Y'all read that with me? Submit to one another. One more time. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, most men and probably most women know the verses we're about to read in just a minute where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. But most people don't even know verse 21 even exists. Because before Paul ever talks about wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving wives, and we're going to drill down on that a little later, before he even talks about that, he lays this relationship principle. He lays this relationship truth. He says, guys, hey, if we're going to be wise and we're going to be discerning and we're going to know what God wants us to do and we're going to walk in the Spirit and we're going to have songs in our hearts and thankfulness in our lives, this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to learn how to submit to one another. Submit to one another. Because let me tell you how you have a life-giving relationship with people. You never have a life-giving relationship with people by controlling them. You can only have life-giving relationships with other people when you submit to them. See, that's why manipulation and control is such a dangerous thing. When you, Every one of us in this room know this. The moment you start recognizing somebody is trying to manipulate and control you, two things either happen. Either you get in a big fight, which usually doesn't end well, Or you pull away. That's usually what happens. When somebody starts trying to control you, two things happen. You stand up against it, you resist it, and there's an argument, there's a fuss, there's a fight. And let me just tell you, unfortunately, that's probably is the only way to get through it. I'm not saying argue and fight in an ugly way. But I'm saying confrontation has to happen in order for breakthrough to come. Or you can pull away, which is what we typically do. And that relationship either goes dormant or it goes dead. And that happens over and over again. And and here's, here's why we control each other. Here's why we try to control people. Because we've been hurt. We've been hurt. And the more hurt and wounded you've been in relationships, the more you want to control your relationships because you don't want to be hurt again. And you don't want to be wounded again. And you don't ever want to feel what you felt when that person did what they did and it broke your heart and it left you in a a pile of rubbish for six months or maybe even six years. And so now you step into this place where you're going to control everyone and you're going to control everything in order to avoid being hurt and avoid being wounded. And Paul says, hey, guys, it won't work. Here's how you have healthy, godly relationships. Submit. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. I'm going to give you a breakdown. Let's just go ahead and look. Let's let's jump down here to that next point. So God commands us. God commands us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He is teaching us. I want you to hear this. He is teaching us how to honor, empower, and connect with one another on a spiritual, life-giving level. When God says submit to one another, he's not saying be a slave. He's not saying let people just talk trash you and run over you and take advantage of you. That's not exactly, that's not what he's talking about in any way, form, or five. Submission is not, is not servanthood. See, a slave has no will or no choice. Someone in submission has full will and full choice. That's why you can't take advantage of somebody that serves you out of love if I'm serving you out of love, you can't take advantage of me. Why? Because it's not because of what you're doing. It's because I want to do what I want to do. And I want to bless you even when you don't bless me. And I want to serve you even when you don't serve me. And I want to help you even when you curse me. Amen. And all of a sudden there's liberty and there's freedom in that. Amen. Because a submitted heart is an empowered heart. A submitted heart is a life-giving heart. A submitted heart honors people. That's right. And out of submission, I honor you. I honor the gift. I honor the difference in you. How many know we're all different? Yeah. I mean, come on, we are different. 32 years of marriage, I thought I would have Kelly figured out. I know she thought she'd have me figured out. And we are, we are far from close. <laughs> I mean, I'm still getting in trouble. It's crazy. <laughs> Yesterday, I got in trouble. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm talking about love and respect, respect tomorrow at church. I just blew it today, you know. It's... But when we submit, you know what happens? All of a sudden, we start honoring one another. We start empowering people. We start connecting in a life-giving way. And let me tell you what I know about the most life-giving relationships you have. The most life-giving relationships that you have are relationships where those people that you're in a relationship with, they honor you, they empower you, and they connect with you at a life-giving level. They don't control you. They don't manipulate you. They honor you. They submit to you. They, they, They empower you to be who you are called to be. Anytime I'm tearing somebody down, anytime I'm constantly critiquing another person, man, there's, that's, not, that's not a submitted heart. And again, I'm not talking about correcting people. I'm not talking about calling out sin. I'm just talking about I don't like what you're doing because it's not the way I would do it. Well, guess what? You're not me and I'm not you. And if it's not sin, come on, somebody, we're going to answer to the Lord, not to each other. Y'all still with me? Y'all good? So men and women, look at that next point. Men and women have been hardwired by God with a core value that reveals our deepest need. Look at verse 33. In verse 33, God gives us amazing declaration. Uh, Ephesians 5, He says, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So I, I love God there because he helped all you ladies out. Because every woman I know, Kelly used to say, I hate the word submit." I just hate the submit Until she got a revelation from Joyce Myers. I don't have time to tell you about it. You ought to ask her about it. It's pretty cool. But God, in his wonderful mercy, changed the word there from submit to verse 33 to respect. That seems a little more palatable to our lips. I mean, respect my husband. I can do that. Tiffany's in the back. I can see her smiling. She's a strong-willed woman. Chris is back there saying, yeah, come on. Good stuff. So God says, Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Why do you do that? Because we have been hardwired by God with a core value that reveals our deepest need. There is a core value in the heart of every man. Every man has an honor code in their heart. Every man has an honor code. We're born with it. There's this respect, honor code that's in the heart of men. And that's why men, listen to this, ladies. You don't get this, but listen to this. When a man, when a man and his buddy gets in an argument... I mean, it gets heated, and they really get mad. I mean, they get mad, mad, mad. They'll come to a point, and they'll finally say, I'm done. (laughs) And they'll walk away. And that's honor. Now, let me tell you why that's honor. Because that man knows if we cross that next line, our friendship may never be the same again. And out of honor, that man will walk away to reserve and preserve a relationship and then the next day, those guys, right they'll be best friends again man, how you doing? High five, man, that was crazy yesterday wasn't it, man, let's go go watch the Super Bowl at Chris's house, he's going to cook steaks I don't know if he is or not, but I'm just prophesying I hope he's listening steaks I hope he's listening When that happens in a marriage relationship and a husband and wife get in conflict and all of a sudden the husband just walks away, I'm done. The wife looks at that as the most unloving thing that a hurt person could ever do. How could you do that? You left us unresolved, no solution, no problem, no, no path forward. How could you do that? What an unloving, horrible thing. He just walked away. And she tells all of her girlfriends and they say, oh, that's so horrible. I can't believe he would do that to you. That's just horrible. <laughs> and all the while that man knows. That in honor, he walked away. Because he knew he was about to say something. He knew he was about to do something. He knew he was about to cross a line that he did not want to cross a line. Why? Because he did love his wife. And he loved her so much, he didn't want to violate that line. That she didn't see, but he saw. You know why? Because God wrote it on his heart. Now you flip the coin, and God wrote love on the heart of a woman. There's there's something in the heart of a woman that that values love. Women know how to love. Women know how to care. Women are are natural nurturers that care for one another. And there's nothing more ferocious than a mama bear. Come on. I mean, I'd fight any man in here except for any mama bear. I mean, come on. I mean, that's that's just the way it is. I'm probably going to lose, but it'll be all right. I mean, mama bear, she's tough. I mean, you get a mama fighting for her cubs. She's defending her children. She's defending her husband. You better watch out. I mean, all the claws are out. It's a dangerous place. You know why? Because she's driven by love. This love in her heart fights for her children, fights for the people she loves, fights for the things that she values, and she's willing to to act crazy because she loves. (laughs) She loves passionately in a way that most of us men will never understand apart from Christ and the love of God in our heart by the Holy Spirit. And so we recognize that we've been hardwired by God with these unique differences. And these unique differences not only reveal core values, but it reveals our deepest needs. What a man needs more than anything is to be respected. What a woman needs more than anything is to be loved. And all of a sudden you recognize when a man feels disrespected, he acts unloving. And when a woman feels unloved, she acts disrespectful, which creates what it's been called the cycle of death or crazy cycle. We're going to talk about that later, but not today. So let me give you... Two last points. So everyone needs love and respect. But love unlocks a woman's soul, allowing her to be the best version of herself, just as respect unlocks a man's soul, allowing him to be the best version of himself. Everyone needs love and respect. Everybody. Men and women, female and male, we all need love and respect. But it's love that unlocks a woman's soul. And it's respect that unlocks a man's soul and allows us to be the best version of ourselves. Let me read this last point, and then we're going to tie these two together, and we'll talk just a minute. So God, in His wisdom, created a supernatural dependency. He created a supernatural dependency that requires humility and sacrifice for relationships to thrive. He asks us to give what doesn't come natural because He wants us to live supernatural lives. So think about what God did. So it's love that unlocks the heart of a woman and allows her to be the best version. It's respect that unlocks the heart of a man that allows him to be the best version. When a a woman feels fully loved, there's a security and there's a strength that enables her to be the freest, most powerful version of herself. And when a man feels respected, there is a courage and a boldness. Right? When a man feels respected, for all you band of brothers, you know when a man feels respected, he rejects passivity. He accepts responsibility and lives for God's greatest reward. That's what happens. But God created relationships in his wisdom where now there's a supernatural dependency. You know why? Because God tells men to love their wives and he tells wives to respect their husbands. The very thing we're not good at. Men are good at respect. Women are good at love. We're not real great at crossing the line. And so God in his wisdom created a supernatural dependency where now we all need God. Guess what? If I'm going to love Kelly like Christ loved the church, I need Jesus. I need help. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the truth of God's Word. I need divine enablement. I mean, even when I think I'm going to say the right thing, sometimes I say the wrong thing, and I've even thought about it. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, I've, I've processed this through in my mind. And I think, man, I'm going to say this. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be exactly what she needs to hear. And I say it, and it's not what she needs to hear. And it's the worst thing. I'm like, how in the world do I even say that? What's wrong with me? <laughs> help me, Jesus. I need help. I'm just telling you. Kelly, if she's going to respect me the way God intends her to respect me is under the Lord. She needs Jesus. She needs the Holy Spirit. Right? And God made it that way. You know why? Because he wants to be the center of our relationships. Because all relationships rooted in Christ flourish and grow. And all relationships not rooted in Christ do not flourish and do not grow. But in him, there's life. And God created this amazing, this amazing, hear me. God created this amazing system of of dependency upon the Lord so we can live supernatural lives. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. It, It requires humility and sacrifice. I've got to humble myself. To confess that I need help, God. Lord, I don't know how to love her the way she needs to be loved. But I want to. So help me. Help me. And it's going to require not only humility that acknowledges my need. It's going to require sacrifice. Because I'm going to have to recognize, hey, it ain't all about me. And what I want is not the predominant thing for our life and our marriage. It's all about us now. It's no longer me. It's a we, right? It's a we version of life. And all of a sudden, we're living this thing together. And that's true of marriage, but it's also true of friendships, right? If I'm going to have lasting friendships, if I'm going to have lasting relationships, i got to understand I need God <laughs> to help me be the kind of friend I need to be. I need God to help me be the kind of person I need to be. And God intended it to be that way. Why? So He could be in the very center of our relationships because He asked us to give what naturally doesn't come easy to us. Now, let me give you one thought. The Holy Spirit gave this to me, and we're, we're way out of time, but I'm going to give it to you, and we're going to close with this because the Lord said this. He said, Keith, He said, In our culture today, right now, homosexuality is one of the greatest deceptions that's destroying so many lives. And and this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Keith, he said, homosexual relationships remove God from the equation. And he said, here's why, two reasons. Number one, it removes God from the equation because, because when a woman is with a woman and a man is with a man, all of a sudden, in the natural, that relationship becomes death. And this is why it becomes death. Because through homosexual lifestyle, there is no reproductive power. If a homosexual couple stay true to their homosexual lifestyle, they can never have a child. The only way a homosexual couple can have children is they have to go outside of their homosexual lifestyle in order to reproduce life. Why? Because it's death without God. Homosexuality is a dead relationship. Again, God's not against homosexuals. He loves them. He died for them. He wants to set them free because it's a deception. Just like sexual immorality is a deception, fornication is a deception, adultery is a deception. We buy the lies of the enemy, and we go down a path that we end up getting locked into, and we somehow think, this is who I am. I've met guys who just go from one girl to another girl to another girl to another girl. This is, Pastor Keith, this is who I am. No, it's not. No, it's not. You're not a sexual pervert, not created by God anyway. That may be who you've become, but that's not who God made you to be. And so he said, He said, Keith, he said, in that homosexual relationship, number one, there's natural death. It can't reproduce. He said, number two, it brings spiritual death because this is what happens a woman with a woman, all of a sudden, women who know how to love hook up with another woman who knows how to love, and now we can meet the deepest needs of each other's heart. Because what better than a woman knows how to love a woman? And then a man over here who needs respect hooks up with another man, and I feel respect, he feels respect, I feel respect, he feels respect. And all of a sudden, we got this relationship. We're like, man, I never had this over here, and I never had this over here. And that's amazing, because now we're speaking the same language. You're right, you're speaking the same language because you are the same, but you weren't intended to be joined together. Physically, you don't fit. And spiritually, you don't fit. And when you do that, guess what happens? Now, woman to woman, man to man. Now a woman can love a woman, a woman can love a woman, a a man can respect a man, can respect a man. And all of a sudden, we just remove the need for God. I don't need God anymore because I can do what I'm naturally created to do, but I am intended to have a spiritual relationship where it requires me to humble myself and sacrifice myself so that I need God to love my wife the way God intended me to love her and for her to respect me the way God intended her to respect me. Does that make sense? And here's the good news of the gospel. God forgives and God frees. The victory, the victory for all of us, guys, the victory for all of us is just I got to acknowledge my sin. That's where it starts. Every person in this room has been born again. Nobody got born again without acknowledging their sin. You didn't come to God and say, God, I'm awesome. And I think I'm going to do you a favor and I'm going to join your team that's not how you get saved you come to God usually with a conviction and a shame and a guilt that realizes how sinful you really are and Lord if you don't take me I'll never be taken and if you don't love me I'll never be loved and if you don't fix me I'll never be fixed and if you don't heal me I'll never be healed and if you don't forgive me I can never be forgiven and God loves us so much and there is no condemnation in Christ God is not condemning any person or any, any segment of society that's struggling in any way, God loves us and he calls us unto himself. It all begins with repentance. God, I confess it's sin. And 1 John says this, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I want us just to bow our heads. I want our prayer teams to come. Whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching online, I want to just challenge you in something this morning. If you've never been forgiven, I'm not talking about just a sexual sin. I'm talking about you've never been forgiven. You've never really come to Christ and experienced the forgiveness that brings the freedom of God. Then today the Bible says is day of salvation. Today you can confess your sin. You can acknowledge that you've sinned and come short. You can acknowledge, God, I'm living a life that's sinful. It's not right. It's not your way. It's not the best way. It's not, it's not what you said for me. And I'm willing to confess that. And I want to ask you to forgive me. And I want you to come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. If you've never been saved, if you've never been born again, that's what Jesus called it, then today is the day that you can accept Christ and your life can forever be changed. So right now, if that's you in the room or watching online, if you would just slip your hand up, say, Pastor Keith, today I want to be forgiven and free. I want to be saved. I've never been saved. I've never been born again. I don't really know Jesus. I know about him, but I don't know him. And I want to know him today. I want to know him today. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to know Him today. He's a good Father who loves you. If you're watching online, you just type in that chat box or hit that hand emoji, and we want to pray with you, and we're about to do that right now. I'm going to ask everybody in the room, if you would, just to say this prayer with me. When we say amen, I'm going to open the altar up, and if you need prayer for any reason, you can come. Our prayer teams are going to be here, and maybe you're struggling. Maybe you got a loved one that's struggling. Maybe you realize there's a stronghold somewhere in your life Or maybe there's a stronghold in your family Maybe there's somebody you work with that you've been praying for And you just want somebody to come and agree with you today We would love to agree with you Our prayer teams are ready to pray They love you and they love to pray And we believe God changes things So let's pray this salvation prayer together All of you here in the room, if you're watching online This is for you, let's say it out loud Dear Heavenly Father I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins Rose again on the third day I confess that I have sinned and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive Jesus, the forgiveness of sin and freedom from sin to live the life God has for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family this morning. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand, clap, and pray. We're going to let you stand to your feet for just a moment. The altar is open. We're going to go in just one final song of worship here today. If you need prayer for any reason, we'd love to pray with you. We love you this morning. so thankful that you're here and so thankful for what God is doing. Amen. In our lives and in our community. So let's worship him this morning. The altar is open as we worship him.
1: You give life, you are love, you bring life.